Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled, Harnessing the Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease and Non-Alcoholic Steatohepatitis Epidemic, Preparing for a New Treatment Paradigm, is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, this is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Zubair Rasi. I'm the chairman of the Global NASH Council. Today, I'll be highlighting the key messages in clinical data presented at a satellite symposium by Prova Education in conjunction with the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacies 2023 Nexus meeting in Orlando, Florida. This presentation focused on non-alcoholic hepatitis or NASH, and was titled NASH, an Epidemic, with significant implications for managed care professionals. I presented at this symposium along with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Naeem Al-Khori. So let's start by looking at the global prevalence of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This data comes from a recent meta-analysis that we published uh, in hepatology. Uh, this uh, meta-analysis suggested that the global pool prevalence of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is about 30%. And when you look at different regions of the world, the highest prevalence is in the Middle East, in North Africa, as well as Latin America. But looking at the rest of the regions of the world, the prevalence is almost in every region is more than 25%. If you look at the most recent period, which would be in the past you know, two or three years, the prevalence actually has risen to 38%. So at the moment, we think that the prevalence of NAFLDE globally is about 38%. Now, when you look at the prevalence of NASH or MASH, which is the, the progressive form of fatty liver disease, that prevalence is about 5.27%. Again, very high prevalence in all regions of the world, but the highest prevalence of NASH is being reported in Latin America. Remember, NASH is a part of the spectrum of NAFLD, and it's a subtype of NAFLD that would predominantly progress over time. This is sort of the, the natural history of, of NAFLD, that when you look at patients with NAFLD, only about maybe 20% of them will have NASH. And these patients with NASH are those that can progress to cirrhosis and liver cancer or otherwise called the hepatocellular carcinoma. It still is important to remember that the number one cause of death among patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is cardiovascular but liver is the third most common cause of death amongst these patients. And in fact, in this context, at moment, now for the NASH have become one of the most common causes of cirrhosis and probably one of the leading causes of liver cancer in the United States. When you look at those patients who get listed for liver transplantation, NASH in general is the second indication for liver transplantation. But for those patients who are over age 45 or those who are listed for liver cancer, is the number one indication for liver transplantation. There are a number of extrahepatic diseases that are associated with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Cardiovascular, I've already mentioned, extrahepatic cancers are common in these patients. And then of course, a muscle disease called sarcopenia. When you look at fatty liver disease and cardiac sort of complications, it's not only cardiac or coronary artery disease. There is also a number of other cardiomyopathies that are associated with this disease. So in fact, when you look at the liver and, and infiltration of fat in the liver, you have a milieu that is pro-inflammatory and also lead to deposition of fat in other organs. 
So if you have epicardial fat tissue deposition, that leads to left ventricular diastolic dysfunction, but also other things that's related to arrhythmias. Now, on the cardiac side, there is also evidence of endothelial dysfunction, and that leads to, of course, arterial hypertension and also arthrosclerosis and coronary artery disease. So this is why coronary artery disease or cardiovascular diseases is the most common cause of death among these patients. Another common extrahepatic manifestation is sarcopenia. That, of course, sarcopenia is more common in patients with non-alcoholic fatty diseases from a study we published and from enhanced data set. Patients who have sarcopenia and fatty liver disease together, they tend to have higher, not only risk of scarring of the liver, but also higher risk of mortality, all-cause mortality, cardiac mortality, and cancer mortality. And finally, the the disease that 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 is also associated with enough of these extrahepatic cancers, especially colorectal cancer, gastric cancer, and others. So the, this is actually independent of obesity. This this increased risk of of cancer. Now, in addition, in addition to the clinical outcomes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in NASH is associated with economic burden. We published a study a few years ago showing that over a twenty-year period of time that the cost in the United States for patients with NASH is about $100 billion. This is a recent study looking at estimated lifetime direct medical costs, and that's about $223 billion. In fact, when you go with different stages of fibrosis, this is estimated here by a score called FIB4, they higher the stage, they higher the cost of care associated with fatty liver disease. Now, how do you actually so assess these patients? First of all, you have to look at the initial suspicion for uh, presence of cardiometabolic risks here, the most important one being type 2 diabetes. But of course, the more component of metabolic syndrome you have, the higher the chance of having significant liver disease. Those patients who come in with elevated liver enzyme, they should also be evaluated for fatty liver disease as well as those who have fatty liver by imaging. So who should we screen? Of course, anybody that you have suspicion for NASH. It's important to remember that those patients who have, uh, who have stage two or higher are the main concern in terms of progression to, to more advanced liver disease and adverse outcome. This has been shown in multiple meta-analysis. And, and those patients who have type two diabetes, as I mentioned, these are the patients who are, who are at risk for more adverse outcome. But when you're seeing a patient with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in your clinic, how do I identify these patients in terms of risk? And there are a number of pathways and guidelines that's been suggested. This is the one that was recently published for the American Association of Study of Liver Disease. There is one for the American Association for Clinical Endocrinology and others, which is very similar. You do a test called FIT4, easy to do. FIT4 can be obtained with the laboratory that's available for patients and the formulas in the internet. If you have a FIT4 that is less than 1.3, those patients are considered to be low risk and they can be followed by their primary care physicians and not really have anything else. If the patients have type 2 diabetes or diabetic sort of situation, you have to repeat FIT4 every one to two years. Otherwise, every three to four years would be fine. Now, for those patients who have a FIP for more than 1.3 or 1.3 and higher, you can do a secondary test. These are the two common tests that's done. One is called transient lustrography, and another one is called enhanced liver fibrosis test, which is a blood test. 
And those tests can, again, tell you which patients are at high risk. And you only focus on those patients who have higher health tests and higher transit astrography. And those are the patients that you can send to hepatology or liver specialty for subsequent assessment. And they would be the candidates for future treatment. How do you manage? Of course, you have to address the metabolic syndrome and improve those components, including weight loss through diet and exercise. And of course, treat type 2 diabetes appropriately and effectively, as well as hypertension and dyslipidemia. There are a number of drugs that are being sort of developed that are liver targeted that will come into the future. And a number of drugs that are also being assessed that hopefully not only improve liver outcome, but also non-liver outcome, especially cardiac outcomes. This is the weight loss slide that's been published a few years ago. In order to actually improve all aspects of liver histology, meaning not only fat, which is steatosis, but also fibrosis, you need to lose about 10% of the baseline weight. When you look at what was the percentage of patients in this clinical trial that actually achieved that, that was about 10% or so. So it's a losing weight with diet and exercise is effective, but it's hard to manage. You have to remember that weight loss should be considered as a as a prescription, not just bas- basically telling a patient, go ahead and lose weight and come back in six months. That's not going to work. So you have to actually take this seriously and provide patients with the tools to be successful. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to CME on REACH MD. I'm Dr. Zubair Nasi. Today, we're discussing NASH and the role of managed care professionals. Welcome. A number of drugs that are not FDA approved, but have been suggested as off-label use. Vitamin E was actually used in a study called PIVINS. It was better than placebo for NASH patients, but there are some potential side effects that are listed here. Pioglitazone, which is a drug used for treatment of diabetes, has also been shown to improve histology in patients with NASH, and that's been suggested for some patients with biopsy of NASH and diabetes. But again, there are some side effects that are listed here. When you're looking at the new drugs that are being developed for treatment of non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, there are two important endpoints, NASH resolution or fibrosis improvement. This is really what the FDA is requiring. The European agency, which is called EMA, require both of these two endpoints to be met. There are a number of drugs that have been used. This is only a partial list of studies that were primarily in phase three. And you can see there are lots of failures here. There are three drugs that I'm going to talk about here that would be that'd be important to mention because they're ongoing in terms of clinical trial. This is the first one called Lanifibrinor, which is a pan-PPAR agonist. It's a phase 2B study called Native 3 study. And as you can see for patients with NASH, all the endpoints that we are interested in in terms of resolution of NASH, improvement of fibrosis in both, were higher in both doses of lanifibrinor as compared to placebo. So this is a drug that is going through phase three and hopefully we'll have data in the next couple of years. The second drug that I want to talk about is semeglutide, which is the GLP-1 agonist. This drug was also evaluated in a phase two clinical trial. And as you can see here, the NASH dissolution occurred in the 0.4 milligram dose of semeglutide at a very high rate compared to placebo. Unfortunately, the fibrosis improvement did not happen. Both latifibrinor and semaglutide are generally safe, but you know they're expected to have their, their side effect profile for GLP-1s 
as GI side effects that are predominant, but they're in general safe drugs. The third drug is a thyroid beta receptor agonist called resmitrom. This is data from phase three mastery or NASH trial. And again, this drug met both NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement and has a favorable lipid profile side effects. Again, some mild GI side effects. This is drug is well tolerated. The cost effectiveness of resmitrom for NASH was done by the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review and suggests that this drug is cost-effective according to the willingness to pay for the United States from a healthcare sector's perspective. So in summary, nafldi NASH and complications of nafldi are growing and causing significant clinical and economic burden. Fibrosis stage, stage two or higher, as determined by non-invasive tests, can help you risk stratify patients with nafldi in one of the algorithms can be used, so like the A-study or ACE algorithm. Lifestyle intervention should be the first approach in a systematic approach and a coordinated effort to help patients lose weight through diet and exercise. It can be effective, but it's hard to achieve the endpoint of weight loss. There are a number of drugs that are available right now to manage the risk factors like diabetes, that should be used right now, but there are a number of drugs that are being developed specifically for NASH in the near future. Hopefully, we'll have a few of those at the near uh, future in the next year or two. That's all the time we have today. So I want to thank the audience and our viewers for listening in. It was great speaking with you today, and hopefully we'll see you again. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash prova. Thank you for listening.